Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 302 of the podcast. It's March 21st, 2018. Joining me today for the third time is Katie Anderson. And today we're chatting because I've just returned from a short trip to Japan, and Katie is going back in May. And you can join her. We'll talk about that in the podcast. You can find more in the show notes by going to leanblog.org slash 302. Today, we are um, having a conversation, sharing observations and reflections on topics ranging from standardized work to Kaizen. Uh, Would it be easier to, quote unquote, implement lean or whatever term you would use if you're a Japanese organization? And what are some of the approaches you see with quality improvement and lean in Japan's hospitals. We also end up kind of meandering into topics like sushi and vending machines and, uh, and, and other, other things related to Japan and some of the lessons and takeaways from going and visiting that country. Um, so again, um, for more information, go to leanblog.org slash 302. Thanks for listening. Well, hi, Katie. Thank you for being back on the podcast. How are you? Thanks, Mark. I'm great today, and I'm super excited to be talking to you about um, our mutual experiences in Japan and uh, follow up from our, our past conversations. Yeah, and I'll you know point to the listeners. Uh, Katie and I have talked on the podcast twice before, episode 233 from late 2015, uh, when Katie uh, was living in Japan, and then we did episode 275 uh, in February 2017, uh, with some of her reflections after uh, she was back. So I encourage you to go find those episodes if you like. Um, but we're uh, going to be talking about um, kind of you know, recent observations that we've both had, um, future observations uh, that I'm sure um, Katie will be blogging about. So Katie, you know, maybe you can give kind of a nutshell summary for people who didn't listen to the first episodes um, you know, about your experience living in Japan. Yeah, sure. Um, so... Gosh, it was almost about three and a half years ago. My husband sent me a message saying, "Hey, I have a work. I have an opportunity for my work to go um, for all of us to go move to Japan. What do you think?" And as a lean practitioner, I was thrilled by the idea of um, going to be able to go learn lean from the source and uh, have that time in Japan. So it was just over three years ago that we actually moved to Japan with uh, our family, our two little boys, and moved to Tokyo. And during, we were there for eighteen months. And during that time, I really wanted to put intention around learning as much about Japan, about Toyota, about how uh, lean practices, even though there's no Japanese word for lean, but how some of those Toyota pr- uh, production practices are uh, used in different areas in Japan. And I started writing a blog about it because I wanted to share not only what I was learning for myself, but to share it more broadly. And so all of that started about three years ago. And then we moved back to the United States just over 18 months ago. And since that time, I'm super excited that I am continuing to use my connections and uh, experiences to be able to share with others. I've been back to Japan three times, twice on my own and once um, as part of a planning trip for a study trip that I'm leading on behalf of the Ohio State University's MBOE program this coming May. And actually, we have a few spots still open for that trip that we're um, offering is open enrollment. So you don't have to have a connection with the MBOE program or Ohio State. Um, so if you want to come along, uh, Mark will have a can probably provide a link or contact me directly. We'd love to have you be part of that. That's uh, May 12th to 19th. But so I'm going back to Japan again for the fourth time since I've left in May, and I'm um, super thrilled. I've have this deep connection to um, to Japan and the experiences there. I want to keep learning and sharing. Yeah, and I would encourage people to go, um, for one, read Katie's blog at kbjanderson.com. There's a link at the top about um, more information about the trip. So if you just go to yep. kbjanderson.com, and there's information there. And, you know, we... Yeah, I just got back from a trip uh, about 10 days ago. That was my third time ever to Japan, uh, all in the last five years. Um, so, you know, and we're going to structure, you know, for the listeners, we're going to structure this as, as more of a conversation 
than an interview because I'm, I'm curious to um, hear more of, of Katie's impressions. And, you know, I've only spent a total of 30 days of my life there. You, you spent 18 months there. And, you know, so I may have impressions. They might even still be first impressions. And um, we're, we're going to bounce uh, some, some themes and topics back and forth here. Yeah, great. And it's it's exciting for me because you hadn't been to Japan in the three years since I've moved there. So this is our, like, our first time to sort of more freshly talk about um, our different experiences. So that's great. So one of the themes we're going to talk about today is um, uh, standard work or, or standardized work. And, you know, my impressions of what I've seen in those trips. So you know, I'm thinking back to uh, a Toyota um, operations consulting division guidebook that um, that was given to me years ago. And there's a page there that talks about the interplay between standard work and Kaizen. And they literally drew sort of a, you know, a circular diagram of one feeding into the other. And it said in the guidebook, kind of yin and yang, chicken egg. Um, Kaizen mm-hmm. is the lifeblood of standard work. And standard work is the basis for Kaizen. So when... People ask, or I hear the comment, um, you know, when I hear your reactions on, on this, you know, when people say, like, oh, lean would be easier if we were Japanese. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure from three visits there and visiting and talking to organizations if, if that really is true, because it seems like, it seems to me, in terms of pros and cons, that Japanese culture and Japanese business culture more typically would rank very high on the adherence to standard work scale, the following rules. But there might be some challenges about getting about people being comfortable um, sticking their neck out and speaking up and, and raising a Kaizen idea. So it seems like Toyota has had to work very intentionally to create uh, a culture of continuous improvement. So maybe just to, to throw it back over to you, Katie, and kind of unravel things to react to. I mean, for one, what, what's your reaction if people say, oh, this would be easier if we were, let's say, a hospital in Japan? Yeah. So, you know, again, all these comments are based on, you know, of course, generalizations on people. Individuals obviously always, you know, there's there's nuances and not, not every person fits the stereotype. But I, I, I agree with you on that sort of broad general brushstroke that there is a cultural um, preference or maybe it's, it's taught through about to people about obeying the rules. I mean, I know you, I saw a photo that you posted recently on one of your blog posts that, you know, no one jaywalks. I mean, they mm-hmm. follow the rules. They don't, they don't jaywalk. And so perhaps that makes adherence to standard work a little bit easier um, in Japanese culture because that's ingrained so early on. But you know, I certainly do not believe that, um, you know, if you go to Japan, you realize quickly that not every company is Toyota and that, um, that, as you said, Toyota's had to work really hard to create its own unique culture and to counter some of those other um, cultural habits and traits that, that really might run counter to what we in the West have, see as lean thinking and practice. And I've written about that for the um, for Planet Lean and the Lean Post, and then, of of course, on my blog too. Just as I was living there and and um, having these different experiences, that sort of, to me, ran counter to what one might expect uh, if you thought that all of Japan was really uh, like Toyota. So I think there's always challenges to any culture um, at the you know at the national culture level or even a company culture that's different. You know, Nissan is very different than. Toyota from Mazda, they all have really different ways that they um, have ma- what their management practices and how they develop people. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I've seen is re- a really unique, what, the thread that I see that ties a lot of companies who are doing uh, what we might say great lean work isn't always about the production processes, but a, really around uh, respect for t- people and engaging people every day in problem solving and and really that that uh, that focus on on people first, and I think some sometimes maybe we've missed that a bit in the West, where we saw the tools first and, and didn't focus as much on on the people. So, yeah. uh, but no, but companies aren't perfect. Or in, in Japan, that's not. And Toyota has to work on you know work at it each and every day to to continue their culture as well. And I know there's been hiccups with that 
in the last decade as yeah. it's really expanded. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny when we think about this, you know, because one of um, our, our Japanese facilitators there on the last trip made a comment about, like, you know, we're Japanese, we follow the rules, you know, and um, there, you know, you, there's, the, I, I did see one Jay Walker and I sent you a message about that. Yeah, yeah. We were trading yeah. messages while I was there. Look, I saw one. Um, but, you know, I, I think of, um, you know, kind of just guidelines around order and discipline that if yeah. the rules say you stand on this arrow while you're waiting uh, in line to buy train tickets, people stand on the arrow. If there's, you know, uh, you take your shoes off and, you know, the expectation is that you don't just take your shoes off, but you line your shoes up neatly. And, you know, we had one of our factory visits there where, you know, I, I wasn't really mindful of that. Um, and, and as we're on the way back out, I looked and somebody lined up our shoes more neatly oh, yeah. than we had left them. And I was sort of embarrassed that, oh, we yeah. shouldn't, we should have done, we should have done better. Um but you know, it's you know, not we haven't read about this with Toyota, but we've read um, you know in the news about um, steel steel company and a few other companies uh, in Japan where there were some fairly embarrassing stories where you know they were falsifying um, yep. you know, quality inspection records and um, like I said, you know, pe companies people aren't perfect. You know, I don't know why people didn't follow the rules in those cases, but it seems like you know, if I, I've heard the word kata over there. Not in the context of Mike Rother's work, but you know, if you work at a store, you you're taught a kata for how you interact with the customer and wrap what they've bought. So yeah. that that seems another example. What what what, yes. what types of things did you see? Well, for sure, and the word kata you know has two meanings. One's a specific routine that you practice, and then the other is the way of the way of doing things. And so mm. you know, Mike. Rother, you know, took Toyota Kata and, and used that word to describe a certain pattern of behavior that he observed in Toyota, both around uh, problem solving and then coaching. But that's just one one pattern. In, in Japan, there really is Kata for everything. And as a Westerner, as a foreigner, we're given a bit of a pass for not understanding or knowing the Kata mm -hmm. that really, truly runs everyday life. I read an interesting book that was written Oh gosh, in the 80s, I think, called uh, Behind the Japanese Bow that talks a lot about the history and context of kata. Now, it is definitely from a Western mm. uh, perspective and, and several decades old, but I, I found it helpful context to understand how the role of kata patterns and routines and sort of rules really influence day to day Japanese um, behavior and engagement with each other. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, there's kata everywhere. It's it, there's specific ways you're supposed to behave in in every circumstance. Yeah. Well, and and, and our guides, you know, mentioned the same thing when I've been there that the Japanese are more forgiving of an outsider not knowing any better. Um, I, you know, in the South, people say, "Oh, bless their heart," if they were doing something that right. really violated norms. I don't know if the right. Japanese have a similar. Well, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> But um, but you know that's not carte blanche to to be an ugly American like that one YouTube knucklehead oh, who no, you know was filming videos and, and embarrassing. That was horrible. Uh, yeah. Americans, uh, you know, different yeah. ways. But you know, I think you know, as there, it's interesting to see things that stand out. Like you know, after the um, subway sarin gas um, terrorist incident, you know, in the early nineteen nineties. Um, you know, it's hard to find. That's one explanation I've heard for why there are very few public trash cans. And so mm. like, if you buy a canned coffee, it seems like the expectation is you either drink it there and throw it away yep. at the bin that's attached basically to the vending machine. Or, you know, I think I'm violating norms a bit by, you know, walking down the street and drinking a beverage. Um, but, you know, I'll throw it away when I see a different vending machine um i've heard stories you know people will carry their trash around all yes. day until they get home you yes had to do that or something oh my gosh that. all the time well all the time you, there are very few there are very few trash cans and you know i've heard a few reasons behind that but one is you know trash is very expensive and so mm. you kind of expect it to take care of your own but you don't see litter on the ground people don't just toss it <laughs> off the ground you really do carry it with yourself and either find a vending machine that has a very small hole that you can put some trash in or you, you take it with you. And I think some of that comes, 
you know, also around that respect for society. It's a small mm-hmm. island nation mm-hmm. and that came from rice farming where there was a lot of cooperation that was required for society to exist. Um, it wasn't individualistic. And so that, the, and then there's the whole um, samurai culture and around rules and, and following the rules. Mm-hmm. And so those have really influenced day to day life. And, you know, walking around eating or drinking is actually very rude. Um, but it's changing, I hear, you know, with the advent of so many Starbucks everywhere, people now walk around with their coffee. So as Japan's getting more influenced from outside the country, things are starting to shift because, you know, just there are more influences from yeah. other cultures as well. So one example I heard about some of that Western influence um, is around eating sushi. And somebody said that generally um, nigiri or rolls would always be considered finger food, that sashimi yes. would be picked up with, for people who aren't you know, only the sushi. Sashimi is just a, a slice of fish with no right. rice underneath. And, you know, that you would use chopsticks for that, that the idea that you would pick up a piece of nigiri with your chopsticks, so like, yeah, that we have, that's sort of been well, brought into the country by Americans. Well, right. It's actually quite awkward to pick up a piece of sushi on rice with, uh, yeah. with the cho- with chopsticks. Also, never mix your wasabi with your soy sauce. <laughs> Put that on the side. Uh, it's actually been very hard for me to come back to the U.S. and go out for Japanese food, especially um, sushi and sashimi, because... You know, we in America love everything bigger, and so we want yeah. bigger fish, pieces of fish and uh, sushi. Mm-hmm. But you're supposed to eat, be able to eat a whole piece at once. Right. You're supposed to just throw it all in your mouth. Right. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, I, mean, I, I wrote a blog post um, about you know I, I took a sushi making class and we learned how to make sushi, and of course there yep. were many many rules. And then he talked about how to eat sushi. Uh, don't take a bite off of the piece of sushi. Don't dip the yep. rice into no. the soy sauce. It'll fall apart. It'll fall apart, he yeah. said. Uh, oh, it makes a little Mount Fuji of rice in the dish. And yep. so I, and I don't know, part of the concern there, you know, you talk about this, you know, this history of rice and, you know, he was very, very specific when, you know, he had already cooked rice, but then he taught us how to mix in the sushi vinegar and, and, and how to work with it. And he, he was very clear that, you know, even though you're supposed to dip your hands in water and you don't want rice sticking to your hands. Um, if it does stick, here's a wet towel. Wipe the rice back into the bowl. And if the, like he did, I mean, we used every single last grain of rice in that bowl. And I think there was a real uh, respect for, for mm. the rice or not wasting food. And, and like, you know, he was very um, intentional about that. Absolutely. You're, you're, as you're talking, it's, it's reminding me of an experience I had in January, and actually we'll be including this in our trip in May to Japan, but visiting an elementary school outside of Nagoya. And part of, you may have seen some of the videos, but in starting at very young age, children learn how to not only um, serve each other, so they mm-hmm. rotate and actually serve lunch, but they are only supposed to serve what they actually can eat. So there's no wasted food, uh, and they're expected to eat what they what they serve. And you know, with the younger kids as they're starting to learn that, there's some flexibility. But um, but really, again, it's found that respect for our community, respect for the food that we have, opposed to all the waste that we you know in the West that <laughs> we just have yeah. with food and other things too. Yeah. So it's that that respect for is really uh, deeply ingrained in in the society. Yeah. Well, one other thing when you talk about um, you know uh, sort of, um, you know variation, um, and that's where I think of you know standardized work versus standard work. The sushi chef uh, mm. was saying, ideally, like as, as you were saying, you know, you, you're supposed to be able to put the whole piece of nigiri in your mouth. You should be sizing the piece especially the rice to each customer's mouth yes. and if you have a customer with a smaller mouth and i think he was generalizing so it might be a woman yes. well, she yeah. has a smaller you should serve a smaller piece of uh nigiri and and so i thought there's an interesting definition of standard standard doesn't mean that there's a rice ball that weighs x number of grams but right. it, the standard says and there's certainly standard for how it's formed and um, pressed together with the fish and serve, but that standard could be flexible. 
Right, to meet the needs of the customer. Of that customer. Yep. Yeah, I suppose. So, I, you know, I... It, if you have a smaller mouth, you might feel a little bit ripped off, though. That's the yeah. you know, yes. thing of the price varies. <laughs> no, the price definitely mm-hmm. usually does not vary. But um, so, yeah, it's. It I think it's just interesting the different, you know, the lens at which we look at situations and behavior based on sort of the norms that we were taught in our countries of origin or you know, cultures of origin um, and how, how we see those different nuances. Mm-hmm. So the next topic, maybe we'll go ahead and transition over to the idea of um, you know, customer focus or yes. customer obsession. You know, it's not uniquely Japanese. You know, Amazon, I think, uses the phrase um, customer obsession and other com- uh, companies are known for that. But, you know, when I, I think, you know, in a previous visit, there was a manufacturing company that had a big sign that said literally and it was in. Um, Japanese and English. It said uh, the customer is God, which is a you know uh, so it might not rub everyone the right way, but I think the idea is you mm. know customers are very important. And you know you you have a story from your most recent trip over that you blogged about um, from a restaurant that, that I was hoping you yeah, could share. Yeah, absolutely. It was we had this I had this experience within the ten hour period. We had three very amazing Japanese, only in Japan experiences that happened. The first was not around this concept of customer service or motenashi is the word in in Japan. Uh, But I'll start off with there because it sort of set the stage for everything. My friend who lives in Japan uh, left her wallet on the bus. But all of us, like, we're totally blasé about it. Like, no big deal. She'll check in four hours. It will definitely be returned. Like, we were fully confident that it would be returned. And we just continued to go out to lunch. And sure enough, four hours later, she checked back. And and there it was. And then on our way back to the train station, there was a woman, you can go to my blog post about this, like holding her arms out. It was a busy train station. And we thought, oh, okay, this is where we should be lining up. And she looked at us with horror in her eyes because we were, you know, standing right where she actually did not want us to stand. We looked up and there was tiny, tiny, every so often drips of water coming. And she was protecting us from the water falling oh. on our heads. And I was wow. like... I was like, wherever would this happen um, besides <laughs> Japan? And that set us up for like the, the super amazing experience that evening, which is really a sign of how just little things, we can take them to go make an experience over and beyond uh, what a customer might, might even expect from a, a good or great experience. So we were at a, we were at a restaurant and, you know, they're all, all the restaurants are small. And at the end of our meal, we, we left and we were actually in Japan in January, which was the coldest, uh, weather temperatures that Japan, that Tokyo or Japan had experienced in like almost 50 years. So it was really cold, sub-zero Celsius temp, uh, temperatures. Anyway, we put our jackets on and as we were walking out to get a taxi, you put your hands in your pocket and they had put the ha- those little hand warmers in each of our pockets and the it was just like, packs? The, yeah, the way you like, you know, you take oh. them skiing and put them in your gloves yeah. and you shake them out and they like hot for five, eight hours. It was amazing. It was just like totally unexpected. And this, it was just, and so appreciated. My husband and I actually ran back to the restaurant to tell them thank you. And of course, oh. in freezing temperatures, the, our two servers were standing outside the restaurant in just their, you know, regular clothes, um, bowing with yeah. big smiles on their face and just, uh, so we said thank you, thank you um, in Japanese to them, and right. it was just—it was just to me showed how you can really delight a customer by doing something as small and simple as putting hand warmers in their pockets on a cold night, yeah. and and how you know we can do that here in the West too, but it's just that concept of emotion, emotionashi, and really exceeding a service standard um, is yeah. really. It's it's pervasive um, across Japan. Yeah, well, I think it's touching when you said like um, you said the bows, the waves when you leave, or like when we went um, on visits on on our tours. Um, you know, we'd be on the bus and driving away, and our, our hosts or the company president or somebody would be there um, waving, and, and we'd you know we we would you know wave <laughs> the entire time well, until like they couldn't see us anymore. Yes, you have to. Yeah. Wave, 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 because that's they want to show their respect for you. And and really, it should be your respect for them. They've taken time out of their day to um, to to show us, you know, show you what their company and take them inside. 
you know, but you and I have also talked about how uh, it's sort of this interesting contrast in Japan where, you know, there's this amazing sense of customer service and just like the bowing and the respect and the um, the beautiful wrapping and, and and all of those like small little touches that just makes things beautiful and mm-hmm. and special. And yet at the same time, don't ask for any customization. Like if you want something that's off different from how, say, uh, something is served, mm-hmm. don't dare ask for it because that's that's breaking the rules. And uh, and most often than not, they'll come back and say, ah, oh, that's very difficult. We can't do that. Um, you know, you're like, well, you don't need to put a tomato on the sandwich, but no, it, you know, it comes with the tomato and you learn pretty quickly when you've spent some time in Japan. It's just don't, the, the level of customization that we might equate with customer service in the West is not yeah. as, um, that's not what customer service means over there. So it's just an interesting reflection on what does customer service mean? Um, and it may, that may differ by, by sort of our cultural preferences or expectations. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I was, yeah, there was one time where I, I thought maybe we violated some rules. I was going to point out first, you know, I just did a Google search, those hand warmers, a yeah. pair of those, if you buy them in a, a box of 40 pair are about 60 cents a pair. So you think of like what a small investment that is in uh, making and in, in not, you know, uh, delighting, surprising um, your customer was something totally unexpected. Right, right. I mean, it was, a, it was, it was pretty mind blowing. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you know the one the one time you know there were, there were a couple times we went in some small groups. You know, I was there. Uh, you know, the tour was kind of you know all inclusive from Monday morning through Friday afternoon. But there was a group of us that went out uh, the Sunday night. It was a smaller group, and we went to dinner on our own. And then the second thing, similar thing happened when I was uh, in Tokyo after the tour on a, a, a walking food tour that was run through a company. And there were like, you know, seven of us. And we decided to stop and have uh, a separate drink that was going to be out of our own pocket that wasn't included in, in the tour. And we bought one uh, for our guide. And, you know, so there were like six or seven of us who had ordered different things. And the two times we asked a server um, to, to split a check. At the one restaurant, I, I'm pretty sure the server, he kind of rolled his eyes at us. And the woman at the bar was a little bit more like, well, it would be it would be difficult. And she yeah. put together a single bill and we're like, OK, we'll figure it out. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, should we have known better than to ask? Or was mm-hmm. that just maybe a rare moment of um, service that was did you have experiences with that splitting checks or was that just not done i just i i think i would have learned pretty quickly that that just just go with how it is <laughs> don't yeah. ask for something separate i mean it's, it yeah. and that's that's fine it's also about fitting in with the culture and expectations you know of the country you're in and, and having your respect for for that yeah. too but no i mean you wouldn't know that necessarily coming from yeah. uh, i think some restaurants might have done that but oh. uh, you know probably not more generally. Yeah. Um, I'm, look, I'm looking at a, a post on TripAdvisor where a couple of people say, um, unless it's a busy izakaya, there's a term, betsu betsu. I don't know that one. And, yeah, but so some people say it sounds like it's not completely unheard of, but yeah, maybe it depends on which places you're, you're yeah. looking at. But, you know, you talk about the, the lost wallet story or the, the left behind wallet. You had a similar thing uh you know i blogged about this i was at the Sukiji fish market and i think i was just like excited that i had the opportunity to eat uni out of a a cut in half sea urchin have you are you any are you uni fan i am not an uni fan but uh i can appreciate from those who are that the level the quality of uni that you get in japan is is unparalleled yeah so uh i I think I was, you know, I was just oh, like, oh, wow, look at that. And I was excited. And the price was an even 1,000 yen or a little less right. than $10. Yep. And um, unlike Europe where the bills are different sizes, and I'm not blaming <laughs> the system here. This is my screw up. Um, I handed, I thought, okay, well, I'll hand them a 1,000 yen note and walk away. But at least I followed the norm of, it seemed like the norm is, you know, you, you stand and eat the food where you bought it. Because yes. they have they have a trash can that was pretty clearly labeled for their customers' trash, mm-hmm. 
And so I'm standing there, and I think I'd taken a bite or two. I was just loving this uni. And one of the guys from the stand comes out and around, and he comes over, and he's holding some other bills. Apparently, I had mistakenly given him a 10,000 yen yeah, note. Overpaid about, by like $90. About a $90 mistake. Yeah. And I would have never been, I probably would have never realized it. No. Yeah. And so he came over and he's like, basically, you know, uh, you forgot your change. <laughs> and then yeah. I realized what I had done. Yeah, you're and like, he, oh, my change. <laughs> and he joked and he's like, unless you want me to keep it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, thank you, thank you. And, and yeah. apologizing because now I've interrupted his workflow. He was yeah. good natured about it, but I did feel terrible. Yeah. I was embarrassed. Oh, gaijin um, moment, foreigner yeah, moment. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, you know, as, as we're talking, I'm reflecting like what, you know, going to Japan is so, it's, I mean, just from the food and the, the culture expect, uh, experience is so amazing. But as like lean practitioners, I think it's so helpful to see that what are those things that, you know, might be culturally influencing different elements of practice and what are things that are different and and then to just open our eyes and sort of challenge our own assumptions about culture and Toyota and what lean is and what does it really mean to respect people and uh, just having those experiences outside of our own uh, expectations of what the norm is mm-hmm. can help us see things in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I think the way I would put it, when you're in such a different environment, I think it really forces you to pay attention to everything. And that could be tiring. I think mm-hmm. a lot of times when you're in familiar circumstances, it's easy to kind of go on autopilot. But I think it, it helps you notice little details uh, about um, the site visits and just the way things are conducted. And, and maybe, you know, a transition and talk a little bit about experiences diff- visiting different hospitals. Um, my experience is that, you know, I, th- you know, I think we're... It's a it's a non-random population of hospitals that are selected to go and visit, and they're they're not all. They're, I haven't seen any uh, hospital that's sort of magically by default lean. It's something they are having to work on. I've seen mm. some very uh, precisely organized um, areas where they would say we are practicing five S, and I've seen some operating room cabinets that were just as cluttered and chaotic as, as something you might see um, elsewhere. And so I think, and I, and I mean, no disrespect in saying no, so I think a takeaway is that, you know, these organizations are not perfectly and we can be respectful and we can learn from them. But I think it also, you know, it sort of teaches me not to put them up on some pedestal yeah. that that's and, unfair either. Right. And, and that, Lean is not, or lean thinking, what the, our construct of that, is not inherently easy, no matter what culture you're in, what industry in which you work, or, or who you are as a person. I think it really, cha- like the principles that came from, you know, what we call lean, the Toy- from Toyota, and what they've evolved, it's been a, the combination of some really good thinking, both the West and the East, and and they challenge all of us at different levels, and to to get better, um, but it's not inherently easy. I think it was interesting too, you know, you and I've had that, we've talked about this quite a bit, how, you know, uh, the hospitals seem to have much more of a, a clinical quality circle focus mm-hmm. and not, right. not as much focused on the management system, mm-hmm. uh, which we tend to, and at least from my experience in healthcare, focus more on now too, not just how are we doing improvement projects, but how is it a connected system across the organization, the enterprise. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting as well. And I, I, I think, well, I was just going to build on what you're saying around TQM where the hospitals, yeah, I've had some repeat visits and some new visits. So in, in the three trips, I've seen three or four hospitals each trip. I've probably seen six or seven. I'd have to go back through my notes. And the common theme is total quality management where these hospitals and it's always the hospital managing director or basically CEO mm-hmm. who's, who's talking doctor. about their history. Who's always a doctor. I, I heard this last trip that that's by law. Yes, it is by law, which is interesting, but um, they were, you know, they will talk about their 20 or 25 or 35 years 
of consistent, diligent practice of total quality management. And it's clear that it's that that culture and that quality and, and whatever transformation they've, they've made or that they're working on with Lean is owned by the CEO, which I, I do find that inspiring. Mm. And, and that's something you don't always see in a, a quote unquote lean journey uh, in an organization and, and, and other hospitals mm. or uh, in, in, in other countries, I mean. Yeah, but, but I, I think, oh, go ahead. Those are great. I'd say I agree. I think the, the, at least the hospitals I visited and some of which were on your recommendation, I was able to get mm-hmm. connections there. There's passion from the leader around clinical quality and how they deliver that at the at the organization. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, there's that, like I said, the quality circle projects uh, are, you know, so the, the, the pros are they want everybody involved in improvement. Um, but they tend to be these six-month-long, very structured projects. It's almost structured like an A3, but it's more like an A3 that you're doing by meeting occasionally right. over a period right. of six months. Right, right. And, um, you know, one hospital I went to, they had a program going on that, that just, well, it's become part of the way they do things, of what they call small Kaizen, faster, sort of quick and easy Kaizen-style uh, mm. improvements where they said, you know, Kaizen can be faster than quality circles. Yes. And, and one hospital I went to, an academic medical center, had a retired Toyota person, and this was formally encouraged by Toyota. They were teaching doctors how to do A3s. So there are things we would recognize as lean practices, but it seems to be built on a, a really solid foundation of TQM more often than, than not. Yeah. Yes. And, and again, you get back to that word lean. It, there is not a concept of lean as we know it. Uh, outside of Toyota, uh, there are elements that different organizations practice, uh, but it's but there isn't this like con- lean construct, uh, and I think that 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 plays a role too in in being able to you know I don't know it, what we might expect for when we say lean. You might see elements in different pieces, but not the whole the whole thing outside of Toyota is very um, it's not so common, and certainly outside of manufacturing. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting to see how certain practices evolve outside of Toyota or, you know, uh, things that are framed as lean daily management. Uh, I didn't I I saw metrics posted in um, some departments. I was I was taking um, heavy advantage of the Google Translate app, which is brilliant and that you can hold up the live camera right. and it will it will translate stuff well enough where you can say, oh, that's a chart about what percentage yeah. of patients have waited this long or not, which it's, it's mind boggling. But you can kind of t- and get a better sense of, well, what's on that bulletin board? Like, is that announcements? Is it, and it's, it, it's you know, I think all the types of things you would see here. Sometimes there's things posted about changes to the process. Um, there's uh, improvements that have been posted in, in some cases. But I, I don't know if that construct of that lean daily management system, mm. if that's an American interpretation, um, it's, it's uh, I'm I don't, curious to dig into that more. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's like an American interpretation because it certainly exists within Toyota. But we put we gave words to it from uh, Toyota mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's what or at least how it was described, that was what Toyota was doing. Um, it doesn't mean that, so that that's, it's more our, con, our vision of what lean is comes from Toyota, but you don't see a lot of people changing jobs historically or roles or moving between companies. And so that knowledge sharing doesn't mm-hmm. happen as often historically in Japan too. So you're not seeing some of that cross-pollination where you do see a bit more of that um, in the U.S. and bringing in different ideas from different industries or different com- companies. Uh, that really doesn't typically happen in Japan. And a, a pro, an upside of that is you have a lot of leadership stability. And I think you know Toyota was able to create its culture because it was growing people within, and they you know continued to develop the TPS and like the Toyota way and everything that 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 meant. Um, you, know, you don't see, you know, I think one of the challenges, you know, we've, you and I've been talking about too in healthcare is that, you know, there'll be great traction and say a lean management system in a healthcare organization or any other organization. And then the leader changes after a few years and, um, 
you know, thing then that's the new flavor of the month, unless mm-hmm. that person came in with that perspective as well. And so I just think it's, an, it's, it's interesting that there may be some, some of the reasons that lean thinking and practice is not as common throughout Japan is because of that lack of changing of leaders and, and it, companies. But one of the reasons that, that it's impeding us here in the U.S. is that, you know, that people come in and with a different perspective and, and totally change the system. Yeah. Well, and you, you have that. And then there's the question of, you know, you come back to the thing I mentioned earlier about um, Kaizen and the willingness to speak up and to point out a problem and to change things. On my very first trip there, uh, our one of our tour leaders uh, was uh, an American who had lived, was basically raised in Japan and lived there. With long Brad. time it's a, yeah with Brad, yeah, Brad. and um, he taught uh, Brad Schmidt yeah. and he taught um, you know the, the very first thing he taught us was the concept of uh, big harmony mm-hmm. and that it's a you know a culture based around blending in you look how people dress uh, in the, you know, in the yep. subways and they you know for their commutes and there's a you know certain you know it seemed like the, the 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 opportunity to express yourself is how tight your tie is tied yeah. Seems like maybe the rebels have their ties a little bit looser. And there were some people without ties. But um, you know, we're talking about this idea of you know the the analogies of you know the tall nail gets hammered down, the tall blade of grass gets mowed first. And it seems like you know that mindset would would make Kaizen uh, a challenge. And that's why I wonder about you know Toyota creating a culture of creating mechanisms like the mm. Andon Cord. Yep. Um, to make it very clear, uh, you know, here we want you to speak up. And I think, you know, Americans, again, let me generalize about Americans. You know, I might be tempted to say, well, mm, I like to do it. The, I like to do the work this way. This works for me. And there might be a high willingness to speak up, but organizations might have kind of stifled that over time. What, what, what are your thoughts on any of that? Yeah, well. So when I went down to the uh, Toyota Kyushu plant on the southern island of, of Kyushu, there was a video about um, Ono in the early days. And a, a comment that I don't remember it verbatim right now, but really stood out to me in the video was that he got a lot of resistance about some mm-hmm. of these concepts he was bringing in. I think maybe one of them was Andon, but it was about doing work in a different way and that he was getting a lot of pushback. And it something around like change is always hard or the people were resistant and didn't like the change. And to me that really spoke to, it wasn't easy for them (laughs) either. Mm -hmm. This way of thinking and practice was really something different. And, you know, maybe to your point, like pulling the end on cord wasn't an easy automatic practice, but it was through the, the routine and the support and, you know, building in that habit and the cultural acceptance at Toyota of this is the way we do business. And this is actually rewarded, um, builds in that that same culture, and I think it speaks to us that we can create that culture within our organizations as well. It just requires mm-hmm. that commitment and that support. Yeah, um, I think it takes that commitment. It takes that leadership involvement. I mean, you know, Toyota has been sex- successful in the United States and other countries. We know there are examples of really great lean cultures in yeah. um, the U.S. and in other parts of the world. So um, I don't think it can be said anymore that this only works in Japan or that this requires mm. some sort of, you know, uh, innate Japanese characteristics. I mean, I think I, my, my takeaway from it is that, you know, the, uh, there are pros and cons in different cultures around the world that are more hierarchical or less hierarchical. Um, you know, there's, there's probably other dimensions that, that we could look at, but it seems like organizations have the ability to be intentional about trying to create a culture. Absolutely. It's it's interesting. So I became uh, really I've become really good friends with uh, Mr. Asao Yoshino, who was a forty plus year Toyota leader who spent fourteen years of his career. I think it was fourteen in the United States, and um, he was actually John Shook's first manager in Toyota City outside of Nagoya. And he we've talked about some of these concepts because he has a little bit of experience, you know, in both cultures and also how Toyota was really trying to continue to embed this way of thinking across the organization. And something that really stood out for me is, is how he was ta- telling me about this ConPro program. And he's written about it with John on, uh, on the Lean Post as well. But how 
some of the thinking that we would consider just the, the norm at Toyota was starting to degrade and that leadership was realizing that some of what we call E3 thinking or problem solving thinking and the manager's role as, as you know, supporting that thinking wasn't happening in the back offices. It wasn't happening as strongly in all parts of the organization. They put a concentrated effort that Mr. Yoshino was part of over two years to really coach and teach people A3 thinking and Hoshin development because they were, it wasn't just happening automatically. And so, that, again, you really have to put that cultural atten- that attention from the top and then support people through that. And like, so it's not just because, it wasn't just magic at, at Toyota that this has become how they hit work, but it was with real intention and, and practice and focus. Yeah. Well, and there's a blog post I'll encourage people. It's on the front page of the blog still right now, uh, kbjanderson.com. A reminder from a recent visit to Japan, Lean is Not Inherently Japanese, is mm. uh, the title of that post. So I encourage people to find that. And you know, as we wrap up here, um, you, know, you mentioned at, at the beginning the tour that you're working on with Ohio State and the MBOE program. There's information about that at the top of, um, of, of your page. But if you can kind of mention um, you know, the, the tour again, who, who is it intended for? What are some of the types of things you would see? Yeah, great. The, the tour is intended for people who have some knowledge of lean and are trying to practice it in their organizations. Uh, the MBOE program is a one-year working professional master's where folks have been exposed to lean thinking and practice there. And so it's, it's not a beginner um, entry into lean, but really any, you know, it doesn't require extensive experience either. We're going there to look beyond just the tools. We're really looking at the social side of lean. A lot of the things that, you know, we've talked about today, uh, we're going to be visiting Toyota itself as well as two different suppliers, which I think is really interesting. We're going to a tier three supplier and a tier two, and you can see how lean thinking and practice has really developed at those, those companies. Mr. Yoshino, who I mentioned earlier, is going to join us for three days of the trip, which is really unparalleled mm-hmm. access. He's going to be on the bus with us, not giving a few lectures, but also just spending time with the participants uh, to talk, just talk throughout the day, which I think is really fabulous. We're going back to the town of Ashkaga, which I've written about, which is like the town that considers itself the 5S capital of the world, mm, to yeah. see their you, own style you, you've, of... You've blogged about that. Yeah, yeah, about how like 5S is a way they see um, to revitalize their community and their industry and really engage people every day. Um, and then some other great experiences, you know, both in the Nagoya area and the Tokyo area, um, talking with the the leader, the, pre- the past president of the Shinkansen Cleaning Company that's famous for the seven-minute miracle. Uh, <laughs> you can find trains. that on the, like, yeah, the bullet trains, the cleaning, of the, like, the, the turnaround time, which is like, both the Omotenashi concept of all that. You, know, you see them bowing when the train comes and when the people come off, but how they actually turn the train in less than seven minutes and totally yeah. clean, which is fabulous. So anyway, I'm, I'm really excited about going back to Japan and being able to share my own experiences with people and, and connect them with uh, deeper learning experiences in the Gemba in Japan. So reach out if you're interested in joining us and uh, hope, hope that you can. Yeah, well, I encourage people uh, to do that. Um, they can find, uh, encourage people, go to Katie's website, kbjanderson.com. Uh, if people want to contact you directly, do you want, can you share email address or what yes. do you recommend? Uh, email is probably the best way and happy to set up a call too. Uh, my email is Katie, K-A-T-I-E at kbjanderson.com. So K-B-J-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N.com. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Katie. Again, our guest today has been uh, Katie Anderson, third time guest on the podcast. Let's, um, boy, we'll, 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 uh, we could talk. Uh, I, I would love hearing more of your reflections and maybe we will come up with uh, something that triggers us doing doing this again and continuing the discussion sometime soon. Great. Great. Thanks, Mark. It's great to hear about some of your recent experiences in Japan, too. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. 
If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.